and welcome to a special episode of 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and this is, like I said, a special episode, a retrospective and analysis on the attempted coup from last year, from January 6th, 2021. Now, you can look elsewhere, like, for example, Wikipedia, MSNBC, The New York Times, for real minute-by-minute play-by-plays of what happened on the day January 6th itself. Rather than doing that, rather than reproducing that kind of content, what I'm doing here is trying to put in one place, in a short podcast, a recap of what we know about Donald Trump and his allies' involvement in and engagement with the planning of this coup. Uh, If you ever find yourself arguing with somebody about whether or not the president was involved or whether or not it was a coup, uh, this might be a place to send that person. This might be a place to get some of that evidence. I'm going to start, of course, before January 6th, and this one goes all the way back before 2016, before Donald Trump's victory in the presidential election against Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Already, by 2016, the Republican Party was engaging more seriously and more deeply with members of what we would call the extreme right than most any conservative movement in United States history already had. There had been contacts and engagement with members of the far right, um, ideological reorganization of the party along those lines. But of course, Trump's campaign and his victory in 2016 really solidified this realignment along the lines of the extreme right wing in the Republican Party. Trump had been engaged with extreme right wing issues, really doubling down on just pretty open racism and open sexism in his campaign in an apparently really just earnest effort to get the support of the far right. This was in part spearheaded by his then advisor, you know, the top campaign organizer and analyst, Steve Bannon, who remains one of the main demagogues of this new fascistic move in the right wing in the United States. Trump's engagement with right-wing groups famously, uh, I would say, probably peaked when he was specifically asked during the 2020 election cycle about his connections with and appeal to the Proud Boys, one of the most prominent and dangerous fascist organizations then and now in the United States. Famously, he told them to not, he didn't condemn the organization, but he said, stand back and stand by, uh, which the Proud Boys took as a, you know, call to arms, as a, as a statement that Donald Trump was on their side. And it seems like he really was. Of course, his engagement with the right wing was not enough for him to win the 2020 election. However, Trump's legal team started to push for his continued presidency in two key angles. And these two legal pushes, and by legal I mean involving the law, uh, were Trump's main strategies for contesting Biden's coming presidency. Now, this first strategy was his claim that the election was stolen or that there was a bunch of voter fraud. Uh, This is the so-called big lie, if you follow the mainstream media way of talking about this. Trump and his allies launched dozens, and I mean like like 40, investigations, lawsuits, all sorts of stuff, in order to try to get 
people to believe and to get the law to verify that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. Uh, Trump made lots of public speeches saying that the election was stolen, that millions of people voted illegally. Now, there isn't any evidence of any of this, but that's not important. Uh, there were lots of lawsuits and other things, uh, other legal attempts to try to get, for example, Jeff Clark appointed as the attorney general of the United States who would have really endorsed this idea that the election was stolen. The second main legal strategy that the Trump team employed was trying to put pressure on state officials to change their electoral counts. Uh, one key example for this is Georgia. Now, the push on this level was uh, really extensive. Uh, it involved talking to staff people at various levels of state governments. Uh, it involved talking to state legislators. It involved talking to governors. Literally, we're talking like Trump would call people in these states and tell them that they needed to, quote, find votes for him. Uh, this also meant that he was trying to get state legislatures that the Republicans controlled to put forth contested electors uh, to ratify a different set of electors and send them to the Electoral College in order to contest the 2020 election results. Additional stuff going on before January 6th, not from the Trump team, uh, was an extensive campaign of violence in Washington, D.C. on the part of the Proud Boys, uh, which resulted in the jailing of some of its most prominent leaders. Essentially, the goal here before January 6th was twofold. One, to make it seem like the election results were contestable, and two, to prevent Biden from being recognized as president by any means necessary. And that laid the groundwork for what actually happened the day of January 6th. The planning for the rally started way back in December 2020 after Trump's loss. Trump called for the rally on January 6th on December 18th, 2020, Officially, the rally that would become, you know, known as the Capitol Riot or this attempted coup was called the March to Save America. Rally organizers, we know, spoke with many GOP representatives, that's members of the House of Representatives in the United States Congress, uh, on the phone and in person for months before the rally. Uh, these GOP congresspersons who were contacted include uh, Brooks from Alabama, Biggs from Arizona, and Gosar from Arizona. Paul Gosar, in particular, is a particularly interesting case here. Uh, he is a long-standing stand-in and intermediary uh, for Trump and the extreme right. He specifically attends a lot of very far right-wing events um, that are trying to break into the mainstream of United States politics as a sort of Trump surrogate stand-in for the, you know, changing GOP, for the realigning of the GOP. Meanwhile, on January 5th, all of the key central Trump allies met, uh, presumably to discuss details for the coming day. Uh, this is everybody in Trump's immediate family. Uh, so we're talking Don Jr., we're talking Ivanka Trump, uh, but we're also talking people like Giuliani and other people who have been longtime allies of the president, especially in the waning days of his presidency. Now, this stuff, this like before the rally stuff, is the real meat of the investigation that is being conducted by the January 6th Select Committee. They want to know how much collusion and involvement can be proved between Trump and GOP officials um, and the people who actually invaded the Capitol and attempted to incite violence in it. 
Now, of course, as observers and, you know, political thinkers, it's obvious that Donald Trump really did want there to be this invasion of the Capitol. He wanted there to potentially be some violence, and he wanted this invasion of the Capitol building to prevent Joe Biden from becoming the president of the United States. But bigger legal questions like his involvement in potentially treasonous activities and, you know, like whether or not this could be proved in a court in the United States, that's what the select committee is all about. That's what they're trying to do. Of course, the pattern of contact, the level of involvement, what we already know about contact between rally organizers and Trump allies and surrogates makes it pretty clear that this was an earnest attempt at a coup in the United States. On the day of January 6th last year, the rally began at 9 a.m. in the ellipse of the National Mall. Uh, this is just south of the White House. It featured speeches by key players. Again, talking Brooks, uh, we're talking Madison Cawthorn, a noted extreme right-wing Republican figure, Rudy Giuliani, and of course, Trump himself. All of them were rhetorically pushing for violence while claiming that the election was a fraud, that, you know, Biden had stolen the election, that the election was being stolen from the American people. Uh, some choice quotes here were saying that uh, people needed to invade the Capitol, quote, to save this republic, uh, that people needed to, quote, keep up the fight. Uh, they were talking about their fellow Republicans, Republicans who were working for the inauguration of Joe Biden. They told them, quote, we're coming for you. And of course, also, there's the famous Giuliani quote saying that the future of the country had to be decided, quote, by trial by combat. Uh, this is a reference to medieval practices of determining who has the right in a situation by a fight, you know, by a duel between two people using violence to solve political questions. That's literally what they were talking about as they were preparing this rally. Trump himself spoke at the conclusion of the rally and specifically called out Mike Pence and Liz Cheney uh, because he wanted them to stop the recognition of Joe Biden as the president. Uh, by this point, by January 6th, Trump had seriously distanced himself from Mike Pence, who had refused his earlier calls and pushes to prevent Biden's inauguration. Uh, by the time of Trump's speech, the Proud Boys and several other sort of vanguardy members of the rally had already marched to the Capitol itself and seemingly, according to on-the-ground reports, were organized to lead the way. Uh, there are reports that people on the ground heard microphones telling people who aren't Proud Boys to get out of the way. Uh, that is because the Proud Boys, apparently, began the actual violence on the Capitol. They were the first people to really engage with the barricades and to really push back against the Capitol Police. Uh, their clashes began with the Capitol Police at about 1 p.m. local, um, and these clashes erupted with the rest of the crowd following along with this vanguard action. Uh, later on, the Oath Keepers joined, having changed into their pseudo-military garb, that is, their paramilitary uniforms, uh, to participate in this coup. Uh, there were near-immediate calls for the National Guard to be deployed. Uh, however, these were severely delayed, uh, which is another potential smoking gun, like a really interesting thing. If, if it were possible to prove that the National Guard's deployment was delayed, that is further evidence that this was an intentional coup planned inside of the United States government. The D.C. Metro Police, however, did show up uh, because they were contacted directly by the Capitol Police. 
the protesters, rioters, insurrectionists. God, I, I still think that that word is so big and awkward. Who even knows what an insurrectionist is? Uh, these golpistas entered the building at about 2 p.m. local. Uh, estimates are that tens of thousands of people breached the Capitol grounds, uh, whereas about 1,200 entered the Capitol building itself. At this point, the Houses of Congress were evacuated, uh, especially the Senate, where Mike Pence was presiding in his uh, capacity as the president of the Senate, as the vice president of the United States. Uh, they were evacuated, and um, staffers took important documents with them, which we are extremely lucky that this happened, um, because these documents included, like, the official counts of the Electoral College. Now, obviously, everybody knows what all those things are, but it would have been an extreme symbolic thing uh, for the people who breached the Capitol to actually get a hold of those papers. Uh, these are where you get the stories from members of Congress about hiding in closets, hiding in boardrooms, hiding under desks, um, staffers trying to get anywhere that they could away from this mob of people, many of whom were armed, uh, not just with firearms, but with clubs, with flagpoles, with all sorts of improvised weaponry. The battles in the Capitol, again, there are other places where you can recap the play-by-play -play here, um, but ultimately, the clashes inside of the Capitol did not result in what the rioters, what these coup planners apparently really intended. Uh, they hoped to actually disrupt the meeting of the United States Congress. Uh, this resulted instead in no members of Congress being captured or hurt. Um, instead, uh, several police were injured, one was killed, uh, one participant was also dead from the violence. Uh, in addition to these, uh, three others died. Uh, they were all people who engaged in the protest on the Capitol building. Uh, one of them overdosed on methamphetamines, and two others had heart attacks. Their presence in the Capitol continued for several hours until around 5, 6 p.m. local time when they were allowed to leave. Uh, there were no arrests made on the day of because there just wasn't enough manpower in, in law enforcement to stop them. There were just too many people. The rally was too successful. Uh, we now know that during the rally itself, there were communiques between people involved in the rally and these go-betweens, these, these people who were intermediaries between Donald Trump and the organizers of the rally. We also know that there were calls made to Donald Trump by members of the right-wing media and other right-wing legislators to tell people to, you know, to leave the Capitol, telling him to call it off. Trump did not do this. Uh, instead, he made calls to GOP members of Congress asking them to prevent Biden's votes from being ratified. He was really doubling down the whole time. Because people were allowed to essentially leave peacefully, it would take weeks, months, and at this point, a year for a lot of these investigations to really bear fruit. And a lot of what we know about the people who were there on the ground on the day of comes from activists, from online activists doing extensive identification work, trying to figure out exactly who it was who was on the Capitol, who they were affiliated with, and what they were doing there, what they considered themselves to be doing there. In conclusion, of course, we know exactly what they were doing. They were attempting to commit a coup in the United States. And we know that Trump and his allies planned the rally. We know that they incited violence, including potentially violence against Mike Pence, that is Donald Trump's handpicked vice president. We know that they did this because they wanted to stay in power. 
Uh, and we know that various more violent and armed factions of the rally went in the vanguard and led the way. This means that the President of the United States knowingly planned and incited violence at a rally led by fascists to invade the House of Representatives and the United States Senate in order to prevent the Vice President and Congress from ratifying the election of his opponent. Last year, on January 6th, 2021, Donald Trump and his allies attempted to commit a coup in the United States. And furthermore, we know that they are not done in their efforts to regain power in the United States. Donald Trump continues to maintain that he is the lawfully elected president of this country. Many people in the Republican Party, including many members of Congress, and unfortunately, I got to tell you, many more who are going to get elected later this November in 2022, maintain the same thing. He is rebuilding the Republican Party in his image, and it doesn't matter, essentially, whether or not he is going to be the nominee in 2024 or if it'll be somebody else. What matters is that this impulse, this fascistic impulse to use political violence in order to achieve partisan ends, is really taking hold in the Republican Party, and it could very well succeed someday. January 6th was only the first time that it was attempted. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please share with friends, family, and comrades, and get in touch with me at histoftheright at twitter.com. That's H-I-S-T of the right. If you really enjoyed the podcast, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word and spelled out with letters, not with the numerals 15. All right. Thank you. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.